Now, I want to be mindful of um, this pulpit, and so somebody tell me what time you normally get out of church. <laughs> I, had a, I had a feeling you weren't going to shoot straight with me, but um, I tell them at, at Lake City, we get out at 1230. That way, if you think we get out at 12, the next 29 minutes are going to be very miserable for you. But um, I'm not sure what time, but I do know we have dinner in the back, so you don't have to beat anybody to a restaurant. And so we've got time just to worship the Lord and to come into his presence. I always ask before I preach, if I'm preaching for the first time at a church or it's been a long time, if you could give me about two minutes just to visit. And I know it is your homecoming. And so I wanted just to tell you that you don't know this, you don't know me, but I know you. And I have some shared history that I have with this church, um, some history. My history with this church starts back about eight years ago. Uh, my music director that I spent over seven months trying to talk to come to Lake City. He was up in North Florida, and he was there, and he came up, and after he was with me for seven and a half months, Rod Parsley stole him from me, literally. Came in, swooped in, swooped in stole him from me, and we went to um, hear Rod Parsley in, Charleston, or in Charlotte, and um, so I knew, I could see the stars in his eyes. I knew we had lost him. And it just so happened to be that Stoneville was open at that time. A good friend of mine in South Carolina Conference had told me about the Stoneville Church. He said, you know, Stoneville's open. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about Stoneville. I'd only been at Lake City at that time about four years. And so I told Amy, my wife, I said, why don't we drive up to Stoneville and just look at it? But the Lord wouldn't release us from Lake City. And so that was kind of the start of my history at Stoneville. And then um, a few years later, we had a massive flood that hit Lake City. The Lake City Church was flooded. The um, number, numbers of compartments of the church was flooded. And your pastor at that time so kindly contacted me, and he said, Pastor Tim, he said, what can we do? What can Stoneville do to help you? I said, well, honestly, we just need money. I hate to put it any ways different, but we just need money. And your church took up an offering. I believe it was $1,500, but your church sent us an offering to the Lake City PH Church all the way back then. I want to say thank you. It's been a long years coming all ever since 2015, but thank you from the bottom of my heart for the gift that you gave to the Lake City PH Church all those five years ago that you were a blessing. Now, exactly one year to the day later, the church flooded again. But I told him, I said, I won't ask anybody for a penny this time. We're just going to make it through. But we did it. We did it by the grace of God. And so we had $100,000 worth of flood damage in two years with no flood insurance. But it was because of people like you that we were able to make it through. So I say thank you for that. And then about, I don't know, I guess it was Accelerant a little over a year ago, um, maybe two years ago. Time gets by so, so quickly. And Brother Brett was walking up next to me, and, and he looked at me, and I shook his hand. I said, Brother Brett, how are you doing? And I could see there was something heavy in his spirit. And he said, Brother, he said, I got North Carolina on my mind. I can't get it out of my spirit. And I said to him, I said, well, do you know the Stoneville PH Church is open? Well, he didn't know what Stoneville was, but I told him, I said, Stoneville is probably, and I, I'm not just saying this, I said, Stoneville is probably the best church in the denomination that's open right now. And um, I really believe that. And he said, wow. And um, so we kept talking. I had, to, I had to kind of push you a little bit, Brother Brett. I said, I, and he said, I, I don't know that they would have me. I said, they couldn't get a better man than you. And I meant that. And so he, so he put his name in, and, and, and the rest is history. 
And then the latest bit of history I have with you is my spiritual daughter, Samantha McCutcheon, preached for you just a few weeks ago. And she said, please tell the people um, how much I love them and please give them my greetings. So I give you greetings to her from her. And so it is an honor to be with you this morning. I cannot tell you how I have, how I have looked just salivated over this revival. I was supposed to be with you in May. And so I have just been so looking forward to being here. To um, Bishop Marley, thank you so much for your assistance. He's helped me to get into Christian View tonight, and I cannot thank him enough. For all of you, thank you so much for being here in the house of the Lord. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, if you don't mind, and let's go. Did I Was that two minutes? I might have went over my two minutes. Now, you can't deduct that from my preaching time. Amen? Let's go in our Bibles to the book of 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and I want you to stand, if you don't mind, for the reading of God's Word. Then I'm going to let you be seated for a long time. Not really, not really, that's a joke. When you're there, say amen. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he dealt to everyone of Israel. Now, this is important to note. Both man and woman. To everyone, a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and to praise the God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, Jael, and Shemiramoth, and Jehiel, and Mataniah, and Eliab, and Beniah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Beniah also, and Jehaziel the priest, with trumpets. And then the very next word is the most important word of this text in this message this morning. And they made it with trumpets continually. Everybody say that word. Come on, say it loud enough. Even in the balcony, say it. Continually. They made it continually unto the Lord. Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus, the power and the presence of the third person of the triune Godhead would rest over me. Lord, I need your touch, the touch that makes both preaching and teaching effective. I need the Holy Ghost to come and to move over this house and move over this congregation. Bless us today that we may hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would guard my words. Let the words that I say be the words that you would have to be said. Anything that is of my opinion, let it be cast to the side and let only your voice be spoken. And we ask this in the name which is above every other name. In the name of Jesus we pray. And the church said, Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning on this thought. The, the keepers of praise. The keepers of praise. I love this particular story. It's really one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. It's one of those familiar stories that I'm certain most preachers at some point in their life have preached on because it is such a powerful um, adaptation of the presence of God and of the, of the grace of God in the life of Israel. But the story begins here. David has not long been made the king of Israel. 
As you know, it was a, a great battle for David to be seated on the throne. There was the battle between him and Saul. There was the relationship that David had with Jonathan. And David truly loved Saul. That's one of the things that I think we sometimes miss is no matter how ugly Saul was to David, even whenever he attempted to take David's life on a number of occasions, that David truly loved Saul. And so David becomes the head, the king of Israel. Even though he loved Saul, he knew that Saul was a very flawed man. And Saul had left David a nation that was somewhat in disarray. They had to bring the kingdoms back together. And so after David has established the kingdom, he has been set on his throne and he oversees all of his kingdom and all that he has. He begins to run down and to do a survey of what he has. He looks and he says, well, I've got an army, check. I've got a treasury, check. I've got servants, check. I've got all the things that makes a nation a great nation. I've got everything together. The people are finally back together. And after surveying all that the nation has, he recognizes that the nation is missing the absolute most important thing that the nation could have. And that is, is that the nation is missing the ark of the covenant. Now what made the Ark of the Covenant so valuable was not its gold or its wood or its fine linen or all that went into making the Ark even though all of that was valuable. What made the Ark so valuable was not its historical significance even though that was valuable. What made it so valuable was not its symbolism even though that was valuable. What made the Ark of God so important to Israel is the ark of God was the representation that the presence of God and the grace of God and the glory of God was among the people. And so David said, I cannot rule the nation of Israel without the presence of God. I want to tell you, and maybe if you're watching by the internet or you'll be watching some other time, or maybe you're a young preacher in this house or maybe an old preacher in this house, I want to tell you, preacher, you can do all kinds of things. You can have a great choir, you can have a great band, you can have great musicians, you can have great ushers, you can have Disney princesses in the back entertaining your children, but if you do not have the presence of God, then you are missing the absolute most essential thing in the church. In fact, without the presence of God, all the church is is a social club that simply gives advice for how to make it through life. And so David said, I may have everything together, but I do not have God's presence. Now, here's a question I would like to ask. Is it possible for a church to lose the presence of God? Is it possible for a denomination to lose the presence of God? I am as classical Pentecostal as anyone has ever been. My great-grandmother was a member of the Church of God. My grandparents on both sides were members of the Church of God. I was, grew up in the Church of God. And then about 20 years ago, I broke ranks and joined the PH Church. My wife has been in the Pentecost Holiness Church for five generations. My children are six generations in the Pentecost Holiness Church. There are five generations in the Lake City Pentecost Holiness Church. That's how far back our family goes. I love the Pentecostal in this church. 
I love the Pentecostal movement. But can I tell you, I believe that we as a denomination and as local churches are on the brink of losing the absolute most powerful thing we have. We put so much focus on everything else but the presence of God. We put focus on teaching and teaching as needed. We put focus on preaching and preaching as needed. We put focus on music and music as needed. We put focus on parking lot teams and children's ministry and I'm not putting any of that down but I'm telling you that if we ever forget that what gives our power preaching or what gives our preaching power is the presence of God what gives our singing power is the presence of God what gives our children's ministry power is the presence of God we cannot do anything without God's presence how does a church lose the presence of God I preached in a church in our conference a number of years ago, a large church, one of the largest churches in the conference, possibly one of the largest churches in the denomination. It was so dead that I walked out of that church and said, A, they'll probably never have me back, and B, if they asked me back, I wouldn't go. That's the truth. It was so dead. I could have preached in fact, I have preached in the Methodist church, and the Methodist church was more lively than that PH church. And as I was walking out, my associate pastor was with me, and he heard somebody on their cell phone, and they said, my, you should have been here tonight. They said, this reminded us of this church 30 years ago. And I thought, my Lord, if it was this dead 30 years ago, I can't even imagine what it's like on a normal service. And I thought, how does the church go from being an on fire, Holy Ghost filled, power baptized church to this, whatever this is? I'm telling you, you could take the name PH off and put the name Presbyterian on and it would have done it no injustice. But then I looked at 1 Chronicles 13 and verse 3. And the Bible talks about David when David gets ready to bring the ark in. And he says this in verse 3, and I believe this is the whole gambit of it right here. He said, we have lost the ark, watch this, because we did not inquire of it in the days of Saul. How does a church become dead? How does a church become lifeless? How does a church lose the presence and power of God? There is only one way it can happen. How does it happen to a denomination? Here's how it happens. Somebody quits asking about it. Somebody quits inquiring of it. I have pastored now as a senior pastor for 20 years. I've been in the ministry for 30. But as a senior pastor, I have now pastored for 20 years. May I tell you that in the 20 years I have pastored, only one, only one person, only one has ever called my phone to say, Preacher, where was God's presence Sunday? I didn't feel the presence of God Sunday like I normally feel. Preacher, what happened Sunday? Where was the presence of God this past Sunday? I got a little offended. It was one of my older members. I got a little offended when he called and asked me. And when I hung up the phone, I thought, oh, God. Oh, God. 
Here's a man who's in his 80s, but his heart is longing to know the presence of God. He's tasted the richness of God's Spirit, and he does not want to go backwards. He only wants to go forward. But then this thought came to me. In the 20 years I have pastored, I bet I have received no less than 100 phone calls asking why the sound was so loud. I bet I have received no less than 50 calls asking why the air was so cold. What I'm saying is in 20 years of pastoring, I have received dozens and dozens and dozens of phone calls from people concerned about their comfort. Why was church not as comfortable as what I am used to it? Why was it not like I wanted? I didn't like that singing. I thought they sung too loud. Why was the lights turned down so low? Why were they up so high? Why were they singing out of the hymnal? Why were they singing off the wall? Why was it too cold? Why was it too hot? I've heard every single complaint there is, but only one time has anyone ever cared enough to say, where was God's presence in that service? How does a church lose the presence of God? People quit asking about it. Pastor, I, I normally sit on the platform. I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I grew up Church of God, and all the preachers sit on the platform. And so kind of out of tradition. I waited all my young life to get to sit on the platform. And so I finally got to. But the main reason I sit on the platform is because the greatest role I have is not preacher. The greatest role I have is not administrator. The greatest job I have is not hospital visitation. The greatest role God has given me is watchman. It is my job to watch. And I made it up in my mind 20 years ago when I started pastoring, really longer than that, but when I started pastoring, I would not pastor a dead church. I told my children, I've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. I've told them all three. I promise you, you will grow up in an on-fire Pentecostal church. If there's only 50 of us there, you will, I'd rather be in a church of 50 where the power and presence of God is than one of 500 where it's dead as a doornail. And I'm not just saying that, my friend. There is nothing worth my children's souls. And there is nothing worth their experience with God. And so I made it up in my mind, whether there's a handful or hundreds, I'm going to pastor a church where the power and the presence of God is known, where the gifts of the Spirit are in demonstration, where the Holy Ghost moves and people praise and worship the Lord. Clap your hands and give him praise in this house today.
But through the years, I've sat on that platform and I've looked out over that house and I've watched people just sit there on their hands and and, and the preacher or the worship leaders, I mean, get up trying to get people to worship. And I've walked to that platform. I've stopped the music service. And I've said, hold on. We're not here for a show. You didn't come here to listen to them. We came to worship the Lord. And this is what I always do. Let's apologize to God right now. Let's tell him we're sorry because you know you could do better. And there have been times, Pastor, where I've said to the Lord, God, just let them off today. They don't want to worship, and I don't want to scold them. Can't you just let them off today? And the Holy Spirit speaks back and says, if you let them off today, it'll be easier to let them off tomorrow. Wait, 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 wait. It only takes about a half a dozen dead services before your church is a dead church, and it takes Jesus to resurrect that thing. How many of you know it's a lot easier to keep something alive than resurrect it? <laughs> and so, so we've got to understand that the presence of God is not optional. And if the air conditioning doesn't work, it is secondary to the presence of God. And if the sound system quits working, it is secondary to the presence of God. And if we have to vacate the building, it is secondary. What I'm saying is everything is secondary to God's presence. How do you lose it? Quit asking about it. How do you lose it? Quit inquiring about it. How do you lose it? Let it fall somewhere underneath all this other junk that we think we have to do to have church. So David said, I can't, I can't, I cannot lead the people of God without his presence. He said, you know, the Philistines took it. David said, I know where it is. But then watch this. This is what he says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 13. He says, he met with the captains and leaders of all the people, and he inquired of them, does it seem right for us to bring back the presence of God? I'm going to say this to you. Pastor, they cannot have a revival without you. Ultimately, you have to be the one that initiates, that ignites revival. But watch this. He can't have one without you. You stick a dead pastor in a dead church, it'll stay dead. You stick a lively pastor in a dead church, he'll either bring it to life or they'll kill him one. And you stick an old deadhead in a lively church, he'll kill that thing. I have seen it happen over and over again. When Pastor Brett left Matthew's Tabernacle, which to my knowledge is the oldest church in the South Carolina Conference, started in 1901, fire baptized holiness church. I met with the board, and this is what they said. We want a pastor 
just like Pastor Brett. And this is what Bishop and I said. We don't have any like that. <laughs> because you see, you can take a good church and put a bad pastor. And you say, what do you mean bad? A dead pastor. I don't care how good he can do everything else. If he can't touch heaven and he can't be a watchman for your soul and he cannot stoke the fire of the Spirit in your life, I don't care if he can quote Greek from the beginning of the New Testament to the Old and then repeat it in Hebrew. I don't care. I don't care how educated he is. I don't care how elegant he is. I don't care how good looking he is. I don't care how talented he is. If he is not a watchman over your soul, if he does not understand his greatest priority, his greatest obligation is not to entertain you or even to educate you, but it is to keep you in the presence of God and keep you growing in the power of the Spirit, then that pastor is worthless to you spiritually. So David said to his people, what do you think about bringing God's presence back? And the people agreed, let's bring the presence of God back. You see, pastors, we've got to have our people. We've got to have the leadership of the people. The board has to be in agreement. We need God's presence. The Sunday school teachers have to be in agreement. We need God's presence. The choir leader has to be in agreement. We need God's presence. The musicians have to be in agreement. We need God's presence. The ushers have to be in agreement. We need God's presence. The children's workers have to be in agreement. We need God's presence. I want to ask you this morning, Stoneville Pentecostal Holiness Church, how many of you would just lift your hand and wave it at me and say, preacher, we need the presence of God. We are worthless and useless without him. Come on, wave at me, wave at me. We need the presence of God. We must have the presence of God in this house. Would you lift your hands all over this house? I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this place right now. I feel like he's wanting to touch some lives and touch some souls and touch some hearts. In fact, would you just stand to your feet? Oh, I'm not even at the very beginning of this message, but I feel like the Holy Ghost is wanting to move in this place this morning. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I will sing about him, shout about him. I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Sing it with me. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I will sing about him. Shout about him. I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I will sing about him. Shout about him, oh, I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, hallelujah.
Now, if you desire this gift from heaven, God's word tells you how to have it. You must pray and believe this promise is for you. And if you yield your life to Jesus and you pray to the blessed Father, he'll fill you with his spirit through and through. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I will sing about him. Shout about him, oh, I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I want everybody in this house who says, I want nothing more than the Holy Ghost from heaven to fall in my life and fall in my heart and fall in my family and fall in this church. Would you leave your pew and come stand and let's just come stand together. If you want to stand six feet apart, that's fine. Whatever you want to do. If we have to, if we have to line these altars or line these aisles, let's come together and say to God, I want the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Well, I sing about him, shout about him. I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. And let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Come on. Don't let it be a song. Let it be a prayer. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I'll sing about him, shout about him. I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I will sing about him, shout about him. Oh, I'll talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost Desire this gift from heaven. Oh, yes. God's word tells you how to have it. You must believe this promise is for you. As you yield your life to Jesus and you pray to the Holy Father, He'll fill you with His Spirit through and through. Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. Oh, let the Holy Ghost heaven fall on me. I'll sing about him, 
shout about him, talk about him to everyone I meet. Oh, let the Holy Ghost heaven fall on me. All right, everyone, I want everyone to look at me. Look at me for a second. If you're in the Spirit, stay in the Spirit, but look at me. I have come here this week not to tell you anything new. I'm not a new preacher. I don't know anything new. I'm not going to bedazzle you with great new information. But I've come here for one purpose. I've come here to remind you of who you are. I've come to remind you that you are the Stoneville Pentecostal Holiness Church and that you are empowered and infused with the very life of heaven. I had a pastor that was preaching for me last week. He was my pastor when I was 12 years old. And he told the story of going to pick up T.L. Lowry. How many of you know who T.L. Lowry is? Only a few of you. T.L. Lowry is probably one of the greatest, most spiritual giants of the last century. And even into this century. T.L. was... He had to pick him up in Dallas and take him to Bonham, Texas. And he said that him and T.L. were talking. And he said, all of a sudden, Brother Lowry said, Ernie, I need to spend some time with the Lord. He said he wasn't loud, Brother Marley. He said he just put his hands like that. And he said he started praying in tongues. He said he prayed in tongues all the way back to Bonham, Texas. Brother Brown said to him, he said, Brother Lowry, he said, how do you just start praying in tongues like that? He said, Ernie, I got to force myself to speak in English. That's how full, my Lord, I feel him in this house. That's how full of the Holy Ghost that God wants us to be, where we have to force ourselves to speak in English. Because if I let it go, it just goes. It just flows. I may talk a little bit more about that this week, but I believe the church, the Pentecostal church, is under the greatest attack it's ever been under since the early days of our movement and where the devil has put his guns is on tongues. He wants the church to quit speaking in tongues. He wants the church to quit praying in the Holy Ghost. He wants the church to sink backward. And I'm telling you, church, we can't do it. Time is too close to the end. And it is too important that we are engaged in the Spirit like we have never been engaged in the Spirit. I'm telling you, in the next upcoming months, maybe years, but certainly within the next couple of years, people are going to come through those doors that are so full of demons, all the psychology in the world is not going to help them. They're going to be bound in every sense of the word. And God is getting ready to release His Spirit onto those who want His Spirit that we're going to speak to the demon-possessed and oppressed, and they're going to be set free. People are going to get up out of wheelchairs and run again. Blinded eyes are going to be opened. All the miracles of the book of Acts, we are going to see 
But most of the Pentecostal world will miss it. Because we're too busy being like everybody else, fitting in with everybody else, and too worried about putting people on a pew. Put, too, too worried about putting people. Say, you, you mean you don't want to, oh, I want to pastor a big church. But it's not about people in the pew. It's about the spirit in the heart. And if our focus is just about filling up seats, we're going to miss the greater thing that God wants to do. You remember this. You remember this. That New Testament church started with 500. But the 500 couldn't handle what God had for them. He purposely, he purposely brought it down to 120. Can you imagine the depression? I can only imagine, Bishop, the depression that pastor had to have had when you go down in a week's time from 500 to 120. But with that 120, he shook it, and the purity of the church rose up, and he said, now I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And then I'm going to add 3,000 to you today. And then I'm going to add to you every day, such as should be saved. And I'm going to keep on adding, and I'm going to keep on adding, and I'm going to keep on adding until finally they're going to say of you, who are these that turn the world upside down? Why is the church today, listen to me, why is the church today got bigger churches than we've ever had, mammoth churches that have 10, 20, 30,000 people in them or more, and America is more liberal than it's ever been? And part of those that are in the church support same-sex marriage, abortion, and everything else that we have stood against. And if you dare say something, they start labeling you a Pharisee and telling you your judgment. I'm going to tell you something. They would not have survived the New Testament. They wouldn't have done it. It just wouldn't have happened. And New Testament, they, listen, listen to this. They won't survive New Testament Christianity no more than they would have 2,000. It has not changed. It has not changed. It is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. The church world has changed, but it has not changed. And so God has to refine us to a place that the only thing we really are concerned about is the presence of God. Is his presence in the house? Is his presence living in me? Is his presence moving in me? Are my children in his presence? Father, I lift the Stoneville PH Church before you today. God, you know, I spent a lot of time preparing to preach, and 45% of it I didn't even touch. I'm blaming you for that. But God, I don't care if I get to preach a whole sermon. I don't care if I get to preach a whole sermon this week. They hear good preaching all the time. But Lord, what I care about above anything and everything else is that this church be brought into the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit be poured out and lives be changed and people be truly converted. Not this cheap, cheap, cheap salvation thing we have today where people close their eyes and raise their hands and sneak out unchanged. I'm talking about converted, God. I want them to be, I want the whoremonger to no longer be a whoremonger. I want the fornicator to quit fornicating. I want the adulterer to 
go back home to his wife and children. I want the homosexual to lay down their homosexuality and say, I'm going to live holy and righteous and I'm going to live pure before God. I'm going to obey God. If I have to fight, if I have to fight tooth and toenail to get to heaven to do it, I will not go back into that lifestyle. Lord God, I want to see the Holy Spirit move and operate in this house today. I release in the name of Jesus, I release all nine gifts of the Holy Ghost over this house. That all nine gifts of the Spirit at some point, at some place, between now and the close of this revival, are going to be activated and initiated in this church. I declare this in the name which is above every name, the only name whereby we can be saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.